The Justice League of America, the combined might and power of the Man of Steel and the Cosmic Crusader, the Winged Avenger and the King of the Sea, the Tiny Titan and the Scarlet Streak, all working together for good against evil as the Justice League of America. Welcome to a special episode of FW Presents, the anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This is another installment in our Find Your Joy episodes, focusing on things that we love. Now, I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, and along with me is my co-host, the Earth 2, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I feel terrific, Shag. <laughs> oh, man. That was bad. That was really bad. So, folks, uh, yes, we are here for uh, some find your joy because we love these comics and, and truthfully we have to cop to something right off the bat uh we're normally you know this is this is classic justice league comics normally we would cover this what on the on the main fire we're well, not the main we cover this on the I guess the uh, the flagship show the fire and water podcast of aquaman and firestorm right rob I think it's the main show, yes, the Fire and Water Podcast <laughs> Network. So why aren't we covering it on the Aquaman and Firestorm show, Rob? Yes, well, because our, our, the very next episode of the Fire and Water, Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast, is episode 250. And it dawned on us that the comics that we're about to cover, which are Justice League of America, numbers 171 and 172, feature neither Aquaman or Firestorm <laughs> in any way. Now, with no Firestorm, it's understandable because this is before he joined the team. But Aquaman makes zero appearances in these two issues. And we thought for the 250th show, one of them should at least be mentioned <laughs> at some point. So we decided to slot this discussion over to FW Presents, which has really become quite handy. Uh, it really this, has lately, this, hasn't this it? This umbrella title that we came up with a couple of years ago. <laughs> And there's also a very special reason we're covering Justice League of America number 171 and 172, and not just because we love them and not just because I have a strong personal connection with one of these issues, but because one of you at home, a Patreon supporter, requested us to do this. That's right, folks. At certain Patreon tiers, you get certain rewards, and one of the tiers, one of the rewards is you can make some recommendations for possible uh, episode topics and this specific topic covering Justice League of America 171 and 172 was requested by none other than our buddy Corey Drew. So, uh, and the cool thing here, well, I mean, Rob, you, what's the deal? Corey reached out to you first, right? No, actually, he just put this up on Patreon. Oh. <laughs> <He just wrote laughs> uh, yeah, he said that uh, he'd love for us to cover it, and he told us it was one of the issues, uh, one of these two issues, I wasn't sure which one, but one of these issues was the very first DC comic he ever read. How cool is that? Yeah, that was really, really fascinating. Him and I have talked, had many, many conversations about comics, but I don't think these have ever come up uh, exactly. So I was, I was as surprised as anybody else when he mentioned that on our, our Patreon page. Corey and I, we have this weird sort of history that sort of intersects, and not just our uh, mutual dislike for you, but uh, just our lives grew in a lot of similar ways as far as our fandom of Doctor Who and comics and things like that. And again, these comics were Corey's first DC comics he ever read. They were the first Justice League comics I ever read. Some of the first superhero comics I ever read. So when Corey and I were, we both were writing to each other basically at the same time saying they were our first, you know, whatever comics ever. And we're like, Oh my God, Jinx. 
So, uh, yeah, very exciting to be covering these. I, I love these comics, but I, I, you know what? We've got a lot to talk about. So I will save the rest of that blathering for a little bit later. Right now, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, what'd you bring, buddy? Now, of course, uh, I was hoping I could find a reprint edition that features these two comics, uh, but that uh, does not exist at the moment. Although there is a Justice League Omnibus Bronze Age Volume 3 coming out, which will reprint these titles, but uh, these comics, but that, that, that comes out later on in uh, 2021. So the book I picked was Justice Society of America, The Demise of Justice Hardcover, which reprints Justice Society of America numbers 1 to 8. Adventure 466 and All-Star Comics number 57. And the cover is by Tom Wilde. And it's a nice shot of Starman, Black Canary, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and the Atom. This is coming soon. So we actually don't even have a price yet. But it'll be coming soon in January 19th, 2021. So if you're a JSA fan, and I know you are because you're listening to this, you will surely want to pick this up. Again, there's no price just yet. I guess DC hasn't established what the price is going to be. But I'm sure whatever it is, it will be 42% off because that's the standard discount at InStockTrades.com. So this is an interesting miniseries, uh, the Justice Society of America 1 through 8. If I'm remembering this correctly, oh, I really hope I don't have this wrong. Uh, this was the first JSA miniseries they ever did. And Correct. It- they predated the issue, the 10 issue series that Straczynski and Parabek did. And besides being awesome because it was the JSA, part of the point of this series was they were getting ready for the impact line of books. So this mini series, they have all these different artists like Tom Lyle, Mike Parabek, um, and one or two other people, but they're artists that would go on to then later draw the impact line of books. So it was sort of like they're warming up round for that. Yeah, sort of that's right. That, that's the series. I don't think I ever actually read this series. I, rem- I read the later one, but I think I missed this one. So this looks interesting. Well, I love that they also packed in All-Star Comics number 57. Yeah, I, that's one of, yep. I love that issue so much. Oh, so good. Well, I wanted to find a collection of the All-Star Comics 57, the, the Super Squad, because of my passion for that group. But I couldn't. So I went with one. Now, I've promoted this book so many times, and so has everyone else. But you know what? It's just because it's damn good. I picked JSA by Jeff John, straight paperback, volume one. Now, I, I'm a little miffed because it's misnamed it's you know it says jsa by jeff johns well the first several issues weren't written by jeff johns or written by <laughs> david s goyer johns came in later around i don't know like issue nine maybe i'm kind of reaching for that but anyway this collects one through 15 of jsa and jsa secret files number one guys this is the book that launched the jsa back into the 2000s and it has kept them around fairly often because of them. So the art's by Steven Sadowski uh, and Mike Bayer. Cover art's by Alan Davis. It's 392 pages. Massive, massive book. Normal retails for $34.99. You can get it for 42% off, so only $20.29. And these JSA books are absolutely phenomenal. They're some of the best JSA comics ever written. It's the team you love through a modern-day lens. So if you've, if you've never read the Jeff Johns run, and by honesty, I'm sure you probably all have. Uh, at the very least, it's worth a reread then, picking it up for 42% off, dirt cheap for 392 pages. Oh, my gosh. So for these and all your tree paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support because running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows requires a lot of online hosting and other services and fees. And, uh, you know, they it became so expensive about a year ago that we had to ask for help. And that's why we started the Patreon. And you guys really stepped up. And I, I say it every week, but I can honestly say without you guys, the network would not be on the air. So thank you so very much to every single one of our Patreon supporters. And Rob, what's that website where they can go find out more? 
Patreon.com slash FW Podcast. Please visit that. Take a look at uh, the different opportunities there. And if you're enjoying the shows, it really is the best way to help us stay on the air. And certain sponsorship tiers you get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows, just like these folks. Uh, our thanks go out to David Ace Gutierrez and Gord Tolton. And a very special thanks to Corey Drew, who, because as we said, was the one who suggested we cover these books in the first place. Thank you so much, Corey. That's awesome. Again, just visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash FW Podcasts. So we are going to talk about this. So Rob, Justice League of America number 171. Did you get this off the shelf? Did you buy it as a back issue? What was the deal here? I I am almost positive I bought these off the shelf because this was, as I've said many times, JLA is my favorite comic, is, was my favorite comic, and I bought it as, as regularly as I possibly could, which is pretty much all the time because it was my number one favorite book. So I'm, I, I don't have a specific memory of buying these off the shelf, like like it was a mountain comic or where it was when I bought JLA 200. But I, I'm sure that I was buying comics regularly at this age, so I'm sure I bought these uh, brand new. So I noticed that there's a Whitman version of the comic <laughs> as well. So does that mean it was in a Whitman three-pack, or did they sell it individually? Because it had the price tag on the front. I don't really know how Whitman books were distributed. I think they did both. Uh, I think Whitman had single-issue comics with the Whitman logo on it, and then at times they would – pack them together for the three packs. So I think yeah, it was both. Ah, interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to tell my story with this comic, and then we'll get into the descriptions and stuff like that and the specifics of the comic itself. But So this came out in 1979. Now, I, keep in mind, I guess, I didn't really become a comic collector. I, I bought some Star Wars comics around 1980, and then I became a collector starting in like 83, 84, whenever Secret Wars was published. So this is a couple of years before that. And I was, uh, and this came out in 79. So I was all of about seven years old. And I told the story once before in our seventh uh, year anniversary episode, but guys are just going to have to suffer through it again. So it's 1979 and I had just moved to Florida. I was seven years old and, uh, this comic would have been on the shelves for a few months at this point. Now, I don't know whether I was just having a hard time adjusting or my family just decided to do something nice, but one random afternoon, this comic, Justice League of America number 171 appeared outside our screen door, just sitting there on the ground where I would find it with a note addressed to me. And it said it was a gift from a secret admirer. And I was like, what? And again, I was buying comics. I mean, I had, a, you know, I had read a stack of sad sacks or something somewhere. Right. But I hadn't, I wasn't buying superhero comics. I had one, you know, a Superman here, a Batman there, but nothing on a regular basis. So here was this comic for me. And I was totally shocked. And I, of course, dove in and read it. And I'll talk all about that later. But it turns out this was a, su- a surprise gift from my sister. Now, she was only about three years older than me. That would have put her at like 10 years old. I don't know what possessed her to do this, <laughs> what motivated her to do this nice anonymous gift for me. It was incredibly thoughtful. And, you know, I loved the comic. I cherished it. I read it again and again. I don't think it was very long until I figured out it was her. So it wasn't like a long kept secret or anything, but it was one of the earliest superhero comics I ever had. And she did the Secret Admirer thing one more time uh, with an issue of Fantastic Four. So, I mean, just so sweet. And um, here, here's the sad part is uh, my sister died in a car accident about six years after this. And so this comic has it, always just been even that much more special to me. Just any anything, any memory I have from that era that I can tie back to her just means that much more to me. So this comic means a lot to me. It's more than it should. That's certainly the case. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, so it's very, very special. It's a wonderful story. And now I'm going to ruin it by getting into a bunch of super co- superhero colored 
dramatics. So here we go. <laughs> Justice League of America, number 171, cover dated October 1979, on the shelves July 5th, 1979. Page count was 17 pages of story. Price was 40 cents, four shiny dimes. Writer was Jerry Conway. Penciler is Dick Dillon. Inker is Frank McLaughlin. Letter is Ben Oda. Colorist is Jerry Sher- Serpe. And editor is Ross Andrew. I didn't know Ross Andrew was an editor. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Issue is called The Murderer Among Us, Crisis Above Earth One. So, by the way, uh, a lot of this recap I cribbed from some random website I found online, some JLA satellite blog that's gone defunct. So, uh, thanks to that mystery writer. It's it's, uh, it's a sad sh- sh- shell of what it used to be. Oh. <laughs> All right, folks. So, Zatanna is chairing the monthly JLA meeting, which happens to coincide with the annual get-together with the Justice Society of America from Earth 2. So the Justice League members that are present, and we know this because we get their little roll call on the front, include the Earth-1 heroes, Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Red Tornado, and Zatanna. The Justice Society members this time around from Earth-2 include Hawkman, Green Lantern, Power Girl, Huntress, Mr. Terrific, Flash, and Dr. Fate. So the two teams of heroes are participating in chit-chat and having fun, and Zatanna mentions to the Earth-2 Hawkman and Power Girl that she still feels a bit nervous about working with the team because she wanted to prove herself that she could make it on her own. Hawkman reassures Zatanna that the entire reason the JLA invited her is that she had already proven herself. Zatanna is overwhelmed with joy and kisses Hawkman on the cheek in appreciation. Hawkman gets his feathers ruffled a bit, and uh, I wonder what Shiera would think about that. Uh, over in the other group, Mr. Terrific is telling a story about running into one of his old foes, the Spirit King, who was in the middle of some nefarious scheme when he was discovered by Terry Sloan. Uh, which is Ter- Mr. Terrific's secret identity. Terry tried to capture the Spirit King, but the villain simply vanished. Apparently, this incident was enough to bring Terry out of retirement to return as Mr. Terrific. Now, while he's telling the story, the Earth 2 Flash says that he would have been happy to handle the villain for Mr. Terrific, but that comment just sends Terry into a rage. He feels that uh, that comment implies he's too old to be a superhero. Mr. Terrific storms off, claiming he's tracked down the Spirit King, and that's why he's here at the meeting. And once he shares what he knows, one of the heroes here will be branded a traitor. Dun-dun-dun. Now, elsewhere on the satellite, we get a very touching scene with Huntress and the Earth-1 Batman. They discuss the recent death of the Earth-2 Batman, Huntress's father. She leans on the Earth-1 Batman for support thinking of him as an uncle. Now we get some, uh, later on we get some fun hijinks by the Green Lanterns of both Earths as they use their power rings to grab all the good foods, uh, all the good food and all the good snacks. And about this time, Superman of Earth One notices that some of the heroes suddenly aren't around. Hmm. Foreshadowing much? Uh, but before he can look into it, a huge explosion rips open the satellite. With Dr. Fate and the Lanterns help build a patch for the hull, Superman discovers a casualty on a piece of wreckage, the, uh, the deceased form of Mr. Terrific. The Flash of Earth-1 discovers another piece of wreckage, but with strange markings on it. Zatanna takes it and tries to use her powers to determine what happened to it when she is hit by some burst of energy uh, from within and it sends her into shock. The Flash has searched the satellite and no one else seems to be aboard. Red Tornado checks the records and sees no one else is beamed on or off the satellite in the last hour, which means one of these heroes is a murderer. Da-da-da, to be continued. All right, Rob, what you think, buddy? Oh, I mean, this is a total blast. No pun intended. Sorry, Mr. Terrific. Uh, no, this it's so much fun. First of all, we got to talk about the cover a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great, it's a grabber of a cover. It's completely designed to make you quickly hand over your four shiny dimes to Mr. News Vendor because you've got the entire, <laughs> you've got all, you've got the JLA and the JSA. So you've got one, two, four, six, seven, eight, you know, like th- 14 characters on the cover. Dick Dillon did not, uh, he did not uh, take the easy route. 
and they're surrounded this uh, you know this uh, corpse and you're wondering who the hell are they talking about i love that of all the characters on the cover the women are the ones with their hands to their faces Huntress, hmm. Huntress, Power Girl, and Zatanna are all doing the. <gasps> oh, you're right. It's all the men heroes are just kind of standing there, like oh, okay, rubble, rubble, rubble. Um, <laughs> so it's a it's a great cover. It, so I, I I think of it as from the perspective of the seven year old kid looking at it. I mean, it was so exciting to see all these costume heroes, and you know, I I knew the characters from the Super Friends, of course, right? But there were so many more here, I had no idea who they were. So it just completely grabbed my imagination. And, uh, and you're right, the compelling nature of the cover is fantastic. I uh, I love that. Uh, uh, Jay Garrick's eyes are in shadow, kind of like the way mm. that his helmet used to sort of disguise him. Ah, so Hint. Good. Oh, spoilers. All right, so go ahead and talk about the splash page because that's amazing too. Yeah, I mean, so the splash page is great. Uh, Dick Dillon always did pretty good splash pages, but this one is even more poster-like because you've got these two silhouetted figures, one presumably dead, the other one uh, kind of like puzzling, like, and the murderer among us. And I love the kind of like a sort of paint splash kind mm-hmm. of brush strokes that he's going. It's very movie posterish, which is great. And it features, as you mentioned, the roll call. And I always loved the roll call. That was always my favorite. One of my favorite features of the Justice League was the little heads of, like, okay, who's going to be on this mission? Uh, I just thought that it was great. So again, it's, it's Dick Dillon just crushing it here in these particular issues. Well, as a new reader, as a kid, you know, just walking into this too. So the, the splash page is perfect for me because the roll call was so effective because I had no idea who anyone on the right hand side of that screen was, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or not screen, but uh, the page. And so I, I love that. I do love how every hero has an equivalent character, like Superman's yep. parallel is Power Girl and Batman's is Huntress. So, what does that say about Red Tornado, that his parallel is Mr. Terrific? <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, they did that. They started doing that way back in, like, the first JLA, JSA team-ups in the 60s. And, yeah, you could tell that after the first couple of heroes got matched up, they kind of fudged it. You know, it was like, by the time we got to the fifth one, you're like, eh, lunkheaded man and wildcat. How's that? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I, I'll share some more thoughts. Let me go into anything specific you have. So, like, uh, this would have been my first exposure to the multiverse or Earth 2 as a concept in general. Like, I, I remember some of these pages are burned into my memory. So for the past 40 years of my life, I have been able to just close my eyes, and I can still see some of these panels perfectly clearly, like uh, the splash page or page two where they're explaining the two different Earths. Like, that is embellished in my memory. It will never go away. Like, the Green Lanterns using their rings to steal food, that is was so funny to me as a kid. I thought that was freaking hilarious. So that, again, burned into my brain. Batman of Earth 1 comforting Huntress also just it's it burned into my brain. Oddly enough, though, there's other pages as I'm reading this. It's like I didn't even remember them. It's like I was reading them for the first time. So like the, the after the satellite explodes and all that, I didn't remember any of that. Uh, I mean, I remembered that Terry was dead, but I, I, I'm reading those pages. I'm like, these are not in my memory bank whatsoever. So I guess for whatever reason, there were just certain pages that I absolutely focused on. And I was not going to let go of. And so it's interesting what, as a kid, what you choose to focus on and what you don't. Yeah. I, I mean, the first, right after the splash page, we get the, the big event, big meeting of them just hanging out. And as I've mentioned before, I'm a big sucker for the JLA and the JSA just hanging out, just doing stuff like not mm-hmm. superhero stuff, just doing yeah. it. Like they're sharing drinks, eating cookies. There's that great moment where Zatanna gets complimented by, by Hawkman and she gets, she like blushes. And gives him a kiss, and he's he's all like, "Oh, <laughs> which I, I, I don't know why he's so fumfury around women, considering he's married to a hawk woman." But uh, and I like that Power Girl sort of like kind of chides him a little bit, at least in her inner mind. Uh, all that stuff is great character stuff, considering how much plot is about to kick in 
I like that Jerry Conway took the moment, took a, took a few moments to, to give us this little bit of characterization. Just watch them all hanging out, which is fun. I absolutely adore that. I like you. I love the socialization stuff. Whenever you see teams hanging out and, and interacting like real people might is it means so it's and, and the ludicrousness of them sitting around in these costumes, you know, hanging out and just chatting is sort of funny. Hawkman's wings bumping into things. And stuff. Right. Exactly. Oh, both the Hawkman's doing that. So, yeah, yeah I like. OK, so there's other things I want to talk about. So they're hanging out socializing. Right. And Red Tornado's leaning on the fireplace with a giant fire roaring in that. Mm-hmm. This is a satellite in space where oxygen is of limited quantity and also probably a ton of oxygen, like compressed somewhere as well. Does that seem wise to have an open flame on a satellite? I'm, I'm thinking I, no. I, this, it's very complicated technology. I'm sure they've got it handled there. Thanagarians. <laughs> and uh, on a recent Digest cast, you and I covered Blue Devil number four. And I was telling you that was my first exposure to Zatanna, and I fell in love with her under the pencil of um, – uh, uh, Paris Collins. And then I, I did fall in love with her under Paris Collins pencil, but I realized as we read this, that that wouldn't have been my first exposure to Zatanna. This would have been. So I'm a little uh, shocked that I completely forgotten her in this issue, uh, especially since she's clearly got a boob window. So she must be from Earth too. Did she, did she come over with Red Tornado? I don't really get that. But um, <laughs> so was she always such a flirt? Cause I mean, like, Obviously, Jerry Conway's thinking about it, right? And, and Power Girl, because he writes Power Girl saying, um, let's see, uh, I guess there's something about Zatanna that breaks down a man's defenses. Like, I think every Justice League writer was in love with her or something. Because uh, remember, uh, was it Denny O'Neill that made her, like, all the guys were, like, creepily hanging off of her with the, uh, with the, the parallel world Avenger story? Yeah, I, yeah, I think they always sort of wrote her as a, that, that at least all, as much as, you could get away with in the sixties, at least read into as much of that stuff that, that yeah, I think they wrote her that she was like particularly attractive to, okay. uh, and probably because she was, she's single and that's probably part of it. And she's a little young, like you're, you're not maybe going to hit on wonder woman because she'll probably break your neck if, if you don't <laughs> like it. But you know I mean? So I think she was, always kind of slightly written as a little more of a sex pot than some other. And she's, I always took the idea that she's kind of flirty, not in a yeah. bad way, but she's just kind of flirty and she's sort of uh very um, just kind of outgoing and, and that's, you know, charming, especially when she's rocking the boob window. <laughs> well, certainly Jerry followed that uh, uh, down the path because he has her and Flash hook up at one point. Right. Um, I mean, they really hooked up. Like she's changing costumes at one point and then like the, the, the camera pans away and you see them cooking the dinner. They're cooking is boiling over like, mm-hmm. OK, that's subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other time where she's like trying to seduce Dale Gunn and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's something mm-hmm. to that. And not that I mind. She's gorgeous. So what else? Uh, okay. So, so this issue, again, it would have really been my first Earth 2 exposure and really started me on my path of running, loving the JSA. And you know, back in 2009, when I started the Firestorm fan blog, I didn't want to start. I mean, it's not that I didn't want to start a Firestorm fan blog. I, my intention was to start a JSA blog. And I realized there was already so many of them out there that I opted for, you know, Firestorm instead. So I wonder what would have happened to this podcast if, if I had gone with Firestorm or with the JSA instead. Hmm. Would have, it would have been something like Earth 2 and then Aquaman on Earth 1 is probably what I would have called it. <laughs> yeah, well, it would have been a great title. It rolls right off the tongue. Well, Aquaman's not on Earth 2, so, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, I have a few other things to say, but one of the, one of the things that really affected me here, so we have this big cliffhanger, right? Who murdered Mr. Terrific? Did you, did you guess at all or anything like this or when you were a kid? I can't remember. I highly doubt it. I've never been good at that. Of watching mysteries and stuff, figuring out who did what. So, no, I probably had absolutely zero idea who did this. Well, it, it seems like it really was leading clearly that Mr. 
the, the Spirit King had something to do with this. I mean, because, you know, sure. the Spirit King was stealing that device, and then later on, Flash recovers that same device. So obviously, Spirit King's connected to it. But yeah, figuring out who did it was tough. So for me, though, I never... I, I didn't get issue 172 as a kid. So I got issue 171 oh. and I didn't get 172 till I started becoming a back issue collector, like in the mid nineties. <laughs> so it was like 15 years till I found out who the killer was. And then I felt even dumber because I'm like, Oh, I guess I could have just read the who's who entry that I bought and glazed over, I guess that revealed that who, you know, who killed Mr. Terrific. So oh, not, too, not too bright on that one, I guess. One thing uh, worth mentioning is the footnote on page four, where he, Mr. Terrific, talks about that he thought he'd retired for good, and it says Mr. Ter- Mr. Terrific last appeared in JLA numbers thirty-seven and thirty-eight. Ross Andrew, uh, that is not correct. He actually oh. appeared. He actually appeared in a bunch of issues of Justice League, including numbers one hundred, one hundred, one hundred one, one hundred one, and one hundred two, plus some issues of Adventure Comics. So that is actually not correct. He had he did have a couple appearances between. Jelly 37 Interesting. Okay. Well, so, so, you know, we've talked in the past about how certain comics can really skew your belief of, of the whole comic universe or whatever. This one completely skewed my understanding of Mr. Terrific's importance to the JSA. You know, given how critical he is to this issue, I grew up thinking that he was like a major player in the JSA. So like whenever <laughs> I, I made my lists of the JSA, he was always prominently featured. I, in the early, uh, or the late nineties, when I first got a, a, a real PC that had some graphic capability, I would make my own wallpaper and I would like cut, you know, scan images. And I, it was, it was really pathetic, but I mean, not that this isn't pathetic too, but anyway, what we're doing, but I, I would make my own wallpaper and I always made sure like Mr. Terrific was, a, was prominently placed with the JSA stuff. I did. <laughs> it wasn't until I found out later. I'm like, no, he wasn't even a member really for the most part. I mean, he joined what in a JLA issue, I think. Right. I don't think he ever officially joined because I was curious about that myself. I went and looked up because I'm like, when did – was he a member? And I went and looked him up on Mike's Amazing World, and he only made one appearance in All-Star Comics. Oh, so, uh, yeah, and, and in the, the story synopsis there, he's not a member. He's a guest of oh, the my society. And it was only when he appeared in JLA, the aforementioned JLA 37, that he's just treated like he's a member. So I'm betting that Gardner Fox either forgot or didn't care that Mr. Terrific was not really a member. He was just like, oh, he's an Earth 2 hero. I'll work him in there. And he just was a member at that point. But it it wasn't like he was, like, officially enrolled into the team. And maybe Roy Thomas wrote some story that I'm not sure that I'm not uh, aware of that uh, filled in that continuity gap because Roy Thomas loved to do that. But as far as I know, yeah, Mr. Terrific was just sort of just drafted into the J- to the JSA, partly so Jerry Conway could then kill him off. Right. So, to be fair, was uh, was Superman or Batman really part of the JSA on a regular basis at any point either? They were. They were. Well, they were honorary members. Oh, but, okay. I mean, they, yeah, they were absolutely part of the team. They just weren't. They just didn't show up for missions and stuff. But they, <laughs> they were members. It's kind of like Ryan Daly for most of our meetings, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to say somebody else, but let's go with that. Oh, I know where you're going. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so a couple of story points. Like, Mr. Terrific just got so pissed so quickly. I love how he's a cranky old man. I love it. It's great. Well, there's like total ageism going on here. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. They, they talk to him like he's a doddering old grandpa. Right. He gets mad that, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, I'm sorry, that Flash, Jay Garrick offers his, oh, I could have done it for you. I could have took care of Spear King. And he's like, are you telling me I'm too old to track down my own enemy? And he storms off, right? And then later on, they actually think that, quote, perhaps some of them wonder if age has affected his mind. Holy crap. And then the next issue comes up again. I mean, they're being totally ageist at this point. 
Now, I, I don't get one thing where Mr. Terrific like loses his mind and he gets so mad. He goes, when you learn the truth, one of you will be branded a traitor. And then it's like, but not yet. I can't tell you. I mean, he's just total Shatner. I can't tell you. Not yet. It storms away. What? You know, knowing what's the next issue. Why? Why couldn't he tell them? There's, there's no indication or anywhere what that, that's about. You never, ever hint to someone that you're about to peg them as a murderer, but not just yet. Never. <laughs> why would you do that? Why, why would you tip your hand like that? It's stupid. It's true. That's it's like a suicide by cop kind of thing, the yeah. kind of idea, right? You're going um, to jail, but first, a nap. Like, what? Right. Why would you do that? So uh, Green Lantern, so when when the satellite explodes, right, and, and they're all – there's some – you know, fun creative science stuff in here where they melt down the meteors to make a shield and all this stuff to uh, fix the things. So Green Lanterns, both of them, rivet the new shield to the satellite using their green energy, right? So what's going to happen in 24 hours? I've never understood the science. Well, there's not science. It's magic. But I've never really understood the magic slash science of Green Lantern's rings because, yeah, he's always making stuff that's supposed to be permanent. But what happens if it falls apart? Like that classic, classic – JLA 110 story where John Stewart rebuilds the tenements for the poor kids using mm-hmm. his ring. You're like, well, wait a minute. Those seem to be permanent structures. So maybe there's a setting, you know, like some things are permanent, some things are not. I don't, I don't know. Well, it's different if you like have, like if you use a Green Lantern construct as a nail gun, but supply it with real nails, mm-hmm. that would be fine. But in this case, they're using green rivets. Like they actually did a Justice League International story where Guy Gardner put back together uh, Scott Free and Barta's house. And then 24 hours later, it literally fell apart. It was hilarious. Um, and so, yeah, here I'm just thinking that shield's just going to float off into space, bro. But all right. And then uh, last thing is I just – I got to – praise dr fate realizing also my first exposure to um zatanna this must have been my first exposure to dr fate which is might have been part of where my appeal came when i read the superpowers miniseries but he is so boss in this man i mean he gets to have that conversation with carter hall telling him basically you know no i'm a dick i take over ken nelson's body you know it's like wow that's pretty cold and then he's just throwing onks but through both issues he's throwing onks everywhere which are just gorgeous which of course came from walt simonson uh and i just love 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 seeing him in here so many colorful costumes. I mean, just this is a great issue for a kid, man. So much because there's, as we said, there's character development, there's action, there's adventure, there's fun costumes. I I love seeing lots of superheroes together. It just makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, it's a great murder mystery, and then you've got all the superhero stuff thrown in, and then the characters. We didn't even mention the conversation that Batman and Huntress have about the the death of the Earth Two Batman, right? Uh, which is a nice little bit of continuity because that just happened a couple of months earlier. Uh, so that was cool that Jerry Conway took him, took a moment to let Batman talk to uh, H- Helena Wayne and be like, wow, that's a weird thing that like my doppelganger on another planet is dead. I thought that, that was a nice touch, too. One of the panels in that page is unfortunately drawn, though. At the second of the last panel, um, Dick Dillon, he, he, it, the poses look like they're about to kiss. I mean, she's a got a tear. Bit. She's got a tear on her face, which is enough to. But I mean, really, realistically, I mean, that. If you took the word balloons away, you would read this as like she's upset about something and they turn around and make out is how I would read this without the word balloons. Yeah, the head tilts are a little – yeah, yep. they look a little yep. bit like that. Yeah, so. that's true. All right. Well, why don't we uh, – unless you got anything else, I, I know I rambled on a lot about that issue. It just – it means so much to me. And again, I read it and read it and read it until practically the cover fell off. I mean that was – I love that comic so much. Yeah, it's just said, it's, it's super fun. Uh, we can see everybody all – partying and stuff I, again I, dick dylan really went out of his way again to not include 
I guess it makes sense that because often what they would do with these JLA JSA get-togethers is you would see more members uh, at the initial party, and then some of them would like you know beam back down to the planet, and then the mm. story would kick in. I wish maybe they had done that because again, it could we could have worked Aquaman in at least one or two panels, oh, gosh. <laughs> or elongated man, or Black Canary. I mean, you always think Black Canary would make it because that's right. All teammates, you always yeah. think Black Canary would be there. But I guess they said they wanted to get the story moving, and so they didn't want to even take the time to have you know Green Arrow and and Wonder Woman beam down or anything like that. So again, that's a very minor thing. What's interesting, all the female characters are fairly new at this point. Um, you've got, you know, Power Girl and Huntress are both recent additions in the All-Star Comics line. And then, uh, Zatanna's new to the JSA, to the JLA at least. So all of them are new. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So I gotta say, uh, with, uh, I feel like there's a turning point when, when Firestorm joins the league and George Perez takes over. I just feel like there's, uh, there's a difference in those issues. So I would say prior to the George Perez era of Justice League, I think this is, Probably my favorite single issue of a JLA JSA team up. I, I just love it so much. All right, well, let's move on to JLA 172. It was covered in November 1979. It was on sale August 9th, same year. 17 pages, 40 cents. Conway, Dylan, McLaughlin, Ben Oda, Jerry Serpe, Ross Andrew. Uh, this was also available as a Whitman comic. This was big. It's big on the Whitman comics. Uh, the-, <laughs> uh, the cover. Is this time it's by Dick Giordano, not uh, Dick Dillon or Frank McLaughlin. And it features a, a moment that does not happen in the story at all. True. And it features a character that does not appear in the story, namely Wonder Woman. I'm guessing Dick Giordano. Oh her, my gosh. I never noticed that. Neither, neither knew nor cared that Wonder Woman is not in the story <laughs> at all. Also, knowing what we know about the story, Batman's pointing in the wrong direction, but okay. We'll get to that. But other than that, it's a great, cover. I mean, it's Dick Giordano. Of course it is. It's wonderfully composed. All right. So, well, all right. So here's my note on this. First of all, it, it, I wrote another striking cover. I love the whole Batman accuses kind of thing. That's fantastic. And, and you're right. The red herring of pointing at the wrong person. I didn't even think about that either, <laughs> but I, I, the, the Batman figure looks phenomenal. All right. I got to say though, the other figures look pretty weak, actually. What? Um, look, look at Wonder Woman's face. Look at Power Girl's face and her whole kind of body. Look at Jay's body in the background. Uh, Red Tornado's sort of, well, I guess Red Tornado looks okay. But Power Girl and Jay especially just look off. And <laughs> again, composition's great. The layout is perfect. But they just, which is weird because uh, Giordano's so accomplished. Maybe it's because he doesn't have a, a pencil to, to ink. I don't know. But it just, it, and, and actually, I'll just tell you, going in, uh, there's a lot of figures and faces that look off in this issue to me, which is kind of weird, especially considering it's the same team that did yeah, the issue before. It's the same art team, yeah. Right. I, I don't know. Okay. So, All right. Well, let's get rolling into it. All right. Yeah. The story is called I Accuse. Uh, it's attentions are running high on the satellite following the murder of Mr. Terrific. Superman asks that Dr. Fate and the Green Lanterns create a force shield around the satellite so powerful that not even he can break it to make sure the murderer doesn't escape. The two teams start an investigation, starting off with Huntress suggesting that maybe Mr. Terrific was going senile, a suggestion Green Lantern doesn't take too well to. Batman, who of course is leading the investigation, asks Flash a few questions, but doesn't explain what he's getting at. While the Huntress is working on the, uh, with the JLA computer, it suddenly explodes, leaving her with terrible burns. Luckily, Dr. Fate uses his amazing abilities to heal her, and with great effort, she tells Batman that their suspect is, in fact, who they think it is. She then drifts into sleep. Batman then reveals what happened. There's only a handful of heroes who could warp the satellite's hull and who leaves a seismic trail that could be tracked by the machine the Spirit King recently stole. And that is 
Jay Garrick, The Flash. What? It turns out that not too long ago, The Flash beat Spirit King so badly that he was chosen for a special revenge to be used as an instrument of murder. The Spirit King <laughs> then uses The Flash's body to escape via the transporter tube, getting away from the heroes. Uh, before the JSA departs to track him down, they take a moment to reflect that the main element of the Spirit King's plan to turn the heroes against each other failed because each of the heroes refused to believe the worst about one another. Whew, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Shag, what do you think of I accuse? I have no choice but to ha- feel a bit of a letdown just because I had 15 years of anticipation, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing this comic could do to live up to my expectations. So, kind of like uh, Phantom Menace. A, li- a little bit, a little bit. Um, so I, I, I don't love it. Uh, again, I do feel like a lot of the figure work is off, and I can't explain it whether they were rushed or maybe it's not actually Dylan and McLaughlin. Maybe it's their studio and they got somebody doing something for them. Uh, that's just a suggestion, but the story itself is fine. Uh, it gets a little confusing with spirit King's plan. Like I don't necessarily understand it. And then the end feels a little bit rushed too, because they don't catch him. Like, you know, he gets away with it. He gets away. And and they're like, but it's okay. We, you know, we made the right decision. Like what? And I, and I I looked back, I'm like, okay, so this must've got picked up as a thread in like, I don't know, all-star comics or detective comics or world's finest or wherever the JSA was at this point. Right. So I looked it up. (laughs) Nope. Yeah. It doesn't get mentioned again. The spirit, they mentioned in passing the spirit King got caught. They don't mention it for another nearly 20 years. (laughs) Inspector number 54 of all places is where this thread gets picked up. Seriously. That's messed up, brother. The Spirit King walked around like bragging, like him and the Joker are the only two guys to get away with killing some superhero. And getting away with it. They're like, yeah, me and the Joker. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. The Spirit King really is pretty high up there on the list of bad guys, isn't he? I mean, a lot of these bad guys have done terrible things, but dude, he straight up murdered a JSA member. That's <laughs> he a good point. Off, he picked off a member of the JSA. I mean, yeah, one of the under lesser the nose, ones. But under still. the nose of both teams, too. Yeah, right. I always assumed growing up that the Spirit King was like this established villain of Mr. Terrifics or something, but he was not. Jerry Conway made him up. Uh, what? So that, yeah, he did not exist before. This was this is his first appearance. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Jerry Conway completely made him up, and it's funny that he didn't get a who's who listing. Uh, now, of course, by the, time, by the time they got to who's who, uh, he had only done, he had only had basically two appearances, these two right. comics. But nevertheless, as we just said, he did manage to pick off a member of the Justice Society that seems like worthy of inclusion of a who's who listing. But, you know, okay, such as it is. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, Jerry Conway made the character up. That Mr. D is, he was not an old foe of Mr. Terrific. It's so weird is in my head, like I, I can see a Spirit King who's who entry. Like earlier I mentioned the who's who. In my mind, I thought I must have read the Spirit King entry and just blew over, you know, who he killed or whatever, but nope. I guess I made that up in my head. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Uh, so there's, there's that. Um, I, I don't know. I love this conclusion. I think it, okay. continue, I think it continues on quite well uh, from the, from the lead up. Yeah. The ending's a little rushed and yeah, he does get away with it, which is a little like a little unsatisfying, but there's so many nice character beats in this that I really appreciate. Cause I thought the whole idea is that it's a, a locked room mystery. It's an right. Agatha Christie, Agatha, Agatha Christie 
mystery. Sorry. Easier for you to say. Yeah. Uh, where it's, it's everybody stuck on the JLA satellite and, you know, in this bubble. I love when Superman talks about it. He says, you know, let's put in this bubble. And even some of the other team members are like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, who put you in charge? I love, I love how cranky Green Lantern is in this story. He's like, right. He says, hold it, Kal-El. Who appointed you high inquisitor? And even Green Lantern's like, I think we deserve better treatment than this, which is great. I love that. I love that Alan Scott's the one who uses his formal Kryptonian name, right? Yeah, that's a nice touch. Even the correct pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool. I love... Lo- I love that, uh, that, that Green Lantern gets mad at Huntress when she suggests he's going senile, which is understandable, but I like that a lot. I, you know, cause it's like a couple of years earlier, all these characters, before characterization really set in, all these characters kind of acted the same. Right. Uh, but I like that in this time, everybody's different. Of course, you know, Green Lantern is like, what? I mean, age wise, like a 60 year old guy at this point, of course, he's going to maybe look at Huntress as like, who are you whippersnapper to right. suggest that Mr. You know, one of our team members uh, was senile. I thought that was cool. I love, love Batman questioning the flash and not telling flash why he's asking him these questions. That mm-hmm. is such a Batman move. I love, he says, thanks Barry. And he walks away and flash goes, I wish I saw, what was the point of all that? I love it. That right. he doesn't clue his own team member into the investigation. That's such a great moment. I love well, it's when a, it's a clever moment of detective work too. Because also he puts he starts off by putting his arm around Barry to like yep. reassure him, and he's whispering to him. So it's mm-hmm. like conspiratorial. And after you know the gimmick of who killed him, you realize he's asking. He's really not asking Barry these questions. He's asking questions about jay really right. is what he's doing and you, you want you understand that but he's just knowing that barry's powers are the same so he can ask barry so it's 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 very conspiratorial and very bat dickish especially once yeah. you know what's really going on so it's it's fantastic although again he looks i mean just looks off with the way his ears and uh, anyway and you're wrong. Anyway, uh, I like when I love the the panel where after Huntress gets burned and Batman actually looks sad, where he gets scared because he's, he's going to die. Like, that's a nice moment. Dr. Fate uh, tries to heal her and we get the Superman moment where he's like, I sometimes I think he's the most powerful one of us all. I do love that healing part. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a whole great moment. The reveal of the Spirit King is cool. The one dodge that Jerry Conway does in this story, I can't blame him for, but I wish that he hadn't done it is that Spirit King reveals that uh, the Flash did not actually kill Mr. Terrific. He managed to become corporeal long enough to leave the Flash's body, do the job himself, and then go back into the Flash's body. I wish they had left that creepy touch in, mm. that, that Mr. Terrific had been murdered by his own teammate. Obviously not on purpose, but I thought that would have been a nice little, just really edgy little touch, but... I guess, you know, this is 1979. They don't want to go too dark on this. But I just thought that was a nice little bit. And I like that when Spirit King goes back in the Flash's body, he uses his powers to escape. And, you know, everybody tries to grab him, and he goes too fast. Green Lantern puts up a, a force shield. He goes right through it. Wait, Hawk, wait, wait. I, I, no, I got this one. So the, the Hawks, they, they're the amazingly powerful Hawks. They combine their might of Earth-1 <laughs> and Earth-2 in an effort to stop the Earth-2 Flash. And they use... Wait for it, an office chair. That is their entire plan, is to hold an office chair between them to stop the fastest man on Earth, too. 
what the what? <laughs> and I like that it looks like one of those chairs you had in like uh, grade school. Right, like hard the plastic, like the cafeteria. It's super uncomfortable. It's like, guys, spring for some nicer chairs, some ergonomic things, or something like that. For God's sake, you're the Justice League of America. What are you talking about? They've got that that, that snapper's old chair. They didn't want him to be too comfortable. They didn't want him to stay around long. That's fair. He well, he deserved worse than that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I know. I really found this to be very satisfying, just because it's a nice mystery, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it ropes in all these characters that don't normally fit into mystery. So. I always liked this as a first, as a two-parter. I just thought it was a great story. I do wish, as we talked about, that they had followed this up in Adventure Comics. Right. And that would have been the way to go. It, that would have been great to do like a part three. Hey, go over to Adventure Comics number whatever, 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 and they're going to apprehend the Spirit King. The fact that it just gets dropped for the 20 years does seem a little like, oh, yeah, we'll get around to arresting the, the murderer of Mr. Terrific yeah, when we're when we're done, you know, we got stuff to do. We got to hang out with Infinity Inc. and other things like that. We got to get to that. Right. Like, I mean, if, 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 I, I don't know, if one of the guys in the Long Box Crusade came over and murdered Siskoid, we wouldn't wait 20 years to go suss this out. We'd be like, you know, we're, we got to go talk to, to Delvin. This isn't cool, man. You know, like, we would deal with it. It just, it's weird. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, right, yeah. So there, there's one, there's, there's one clue thing that I really, I don't. I still don't really get. They make a big deal about this one piece of evidence that's a chunk of metal that's got these. Uh, they, they keep saying, you know, it's like these impressions. Well, clearly it's fingertips. I mean, you can tell it's finger. Strong fingertips have been pressed into this metal, and they say at first, you know, it, it can't be Superman because they're too close together. So it looks like it's Power Girl, but that's just a ruse. I still don't get like, how did the Spirit King or the Flash dent metal with their fingers? I don't get that. I assume to use his vibrational powers to do that. I assume and that, that the whole reason of that was just to throw suspicion on the Power Girl? Is that what it was? I guess so. I didn't quite get that part either. Well, I mean, okay. again, the Spirit King, you know, I mean, it wasn't the greatest plan in the world. Again, he <laughs> managed to kill Mr. Terrific, but it wasn't, I don't know, wasn't the most thought out plan. He, he's been more successful than Lex Luthor. I mean, right? At this point, technically. Point. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got a question about the, the globe that they create, the, the Green Lanterns and Dr. Fate. Yes. Uh, on page five. Yeah. So they work together. They create this globe. I love how Dr. Fate says, you know, that as they're getting to do it, he goes, then begin. And as you value your lives, do not falter. Like a great threat, right? So they create this giant ball and you see the last panel on page five. And the thing is massive. So how high is the ceiling in the monitor room exactly? Because that freak, and I realize it expands beyond that later. But at this point, it's still inside the room. That that they got a really high ceiling in that room. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like a it's like an auditorium. Like it's like a forty foot high ceiling in there. Yeah, I guess with all the flying characters, they just like to fly around a lot or something. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. It's always again. It's always dodgy. Sometimes when it's drawn, it looks like you could bump your head on the glass. And yeah, that's right there. It looks like they're in yeah some massive thing. So yeah, it, it kind of it morphs depending what you need it to. However, whatever size it needs to be is is the size it is. I, one of the things that occurs to me as I read this issue too is I'm I'm really thankful that the Hawkmen on both teams basically are, are as, as like naked as a Chippendale dancer. And I think that's important because I sit here and look at Power Girl and Huntress and Zatanna. All of their costumes are designed to accentuate their sexiness. And it just, it seems so out of place. Now, admittedly, every, all the guys' costumes are skin tight too, but it's just, it's not the same sexuality behind it. And yet, oh, like then Hawkman walks in. I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. Even, even <laughs> representation. That's fine. 
Uh, that works. <laughs> it's like that guy that they got to play Hawkman in that uh, superheroes roast special in the seventies, and the guy was like super built. But yeah, you imagine if there was a guy walking around built like Hawkman, you're like, wow, that guy. Oof, jeez. Okay. It is unfortunate that Hawkman was in um, the third phase of his helmet because I I don't like that helmet that he's got. That that, that it's, oh, I like this one. It's it's better than just the pullover mask which he had yeah. in the All Star Comics run, but it does not beat the actual Hawk mask. That he had in the original comics, and then Roy oh. Thomas used an ultra spark. That one was the boss helmet. Agreed. No, I mean nothing will ever beat that. You're absolutely yeah. right. The other one where he's got the little beak and everything he's on the it, tongue is... sticking out. It's great. Right. <laughs> that is a fantastic mask. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's 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 no there's no compromise there. Yeah, but this one's this one's fine. I think if you have to distinguish the Hawks, I think it works well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I bagged on it a bit. It's a good issue, though. I did enjoy it. Um, now, let me ask you a question, too. As we look through this, both issues, do you feel like uh, like there was some special treatment paid to Hal Jordan's face? Like, maybe they looked at, like, some Gil Kane or Neil Adams versions of Hal Jordan. Like, on page nine, there's a great Hal Jordan face. It looks to me like it's like, I feel like when I look at Superman's face right next to him or Hawkman's whatever the hell's going on with Hoffman's mask on page nine there. It, like, it looks like, it kind of looks like a Neil Adams, Hal Jordan to me. Hmm. Uh, I'm not seeing that. It is, it looks like the, it got a little bit of extra rendering there. Uh, where are you going? Find something. Uh, right. I like, you only see Dr. Fate kind of popping up from behind Superman's <laughs> shoulder. Uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I like this issue. I don't see any huge qualitative well, I'm difference art-wise uh, between this one. I mean, there's a couple of poses that look a little weird. The splash page with Flash on it, he looks mm-hmm. like he's got like no neck at all, which looks right. really kind of awkward. So there's a couple of things. I mean, I, we've, we've talked about this on, on other, um, other podcasts is that Dick Dillon not just drew Justice League every month for I think twelve years straight. Something like that, yeah. Unreal. He went from like sixty sixty seven to eighty or something like that. But he also regularly drew Blackhawk, World's Finest, and did special issues. I mean, I just can't wrap my head around how much how many pages he produced and like team books. You know, I mean, think about right. this. Every every panel that he's drawing here has at least like four or five figures every single time. Like that just takes forever. So that guy must have just been a demon at, at managing his time. I don't know how he managed to crank out as much as he did. I mean, all these, and, and not just a team book, but like this one, as we said, has like what fourteen characters or whatever the hell yep. it is. I mean, just yep. wow. Yep. So, but yeah, and, and again, I I'm probably being more harsh than I should be. And as I said, I I, I copped to it right off the bat. There was absolutely no way this comic was going to live up to my expectations compared to the the one I read 15 years before that. But right. all in all, still a fantastic story. I still think, as I said, you know, with with the exception of the period starting when George Perez takes over the book, I think uh, I think this is probably my favorite JLA JSA team up. I really do. It's a lot of fun. I said I like mysteries, and it's fun to see the superheroes involved in even though there is there's this character with supernatural powers it really is just a drawing room mystery and i i like that a lot seeing all these characters forced into the situation and i think using the jla satellite as like an old haunted house kind of is very clever i thought that jerry conway did a a great job and i i would love we've never talked to him about this and maybe he's done interviews i would love to know like what was the genesis of this? Did he want to write a mystery and thought, well, if you're going to do a mystery, you got to kill somebody off. Who do I kill mm. off? You got to kill off a superhero. Who can I kill off? Well, nobody's doing anything with Mister Terrific, you know that kind of thing. I'd, I mm-hmm. would love to know that, like, what kind of the chicken and egg kind of thing, like what came first. But uh, and you know, I mean, Mister Terrific was a character that nobody had really used much. 
uh, in in comics. I, I mentioned he'd been in some JLA comics, but he was really kind of a forgotten hero. He didn't have much of a career outside of the golden age. So you, you could argue it's maybe sad to bring somebody back just to kill him off. But at the same time, it's certainly memorable, you know? I mean, and Mr. Terrific eventually came back as a character in, in the generational way. I think didn't even appear on Smallville at one point, like the, 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 the later version. Oh, wow. Uh, on Smallville. So he's like, got like I'm a live sure. action appearance. I think so. I thought so. That he's was definitely in Justice League action, the right. cartoon. Right. Um, but I, I'll tell you, my, my favorite usage of Terry Sloan, because he, he really, he didn't get, even in the Golden Age, his uh, stories weren't amazing. Um, but my favorite usage of Terry Sloan was in, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the issue, but there was that series called JSA Returns. It was right, it was like a nine issue miniseries right before the, the quote unquote Jeff Johns era of JSA. And what it was, it was a golden age story. And it was like, it started off with, I think JSA returns number one or something like that. And then they did like seven issues of like all American comics and star spangled comics and just like one, one shots all with like the classic titles from the forties. And then it was like, you know, um, or maybe it's all star comics. Either way, it, it ended with the bookend number two. So it was one big long story. Well, in one of those stories, and I can't remember if it was a Mark Wade or Jeff Johns issue, it focused on Mr. Terrific in the 1940s and they showed him using his because his bit is he's just got like every skill you can imagine right? right and so they showed that to amazing effect like at one point you know he's beating people up and the next minute he's performing an emergency tracheotomy with like a ballpoint <laughs> pen or something i mean it's really really and it sounds funny but i'm being serious it's really expertly done it's really fantastic it was a, so. it was a fun I said it's it's a character that has lived on through through Later versions and stuff. And again, I loved him. I, the, the who's who listing drawn by Steven DeStefano, mm. amazing man, uh, was, was fun. I mean, a guy that runs around with the words fair play on his stomach is <laughs> certainly kind of, kind of memorable. Well, yeah, I, I agree that, uh, he works better sort of in memory and the Michael Holt version is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He's, he's been a great introduction. I mean, he, he became the leader of the JSA for a long time. He's become a critical part. I now I don't know if they're actually using him at this point, but for a long time, he was a critical part of the DC universe and what like the third smartest man in the world kind of thing. Hmm. So, um, it's been a great legacy. That's for sure. Well, these have been super fun. And again, I, I, it feels like it belongs in the Aquaman and Firestorm show, but we explained our reasons why not to. But it, it, again, we found our joy with these issues, and that's really what was important. And thank you so much to Corey Drew for suggesting this topic. I, you know what? I'm so glad you did because it's uh, I, it was an absolute joy visiting these and reading them and remembering the story I shared earlier about how I got came to have this comic. Yeah, it's wonderful. It really was a nice confluence. I mean, JLA, old issues of Justice League is something we're generally always going to want to cover. Uh, so then for it to be a suggestion of Corey's was great because, you know, he's my pal and I love being able to, uh, do something involving with him and also to fulfill a Patreon request. And then of course it tells into, uh, ties into the story that you mentioned, which was really quite, again, very, quite charming that your sister would uh, do that for you. It's very nice. So generous as a 10 year old kid. Unbelievable. Wow. And I'm sure so. you didn't deserve it. I'm sure. I was just thinking the same thing, I actually. <laughs> I think about how annoying you are now. And then at 10, I mean, oh, my God. No, I was seven. Even worse. Oh, man. I must have been off the chain at that point. Imagine this with absolutely no self-control whatsoever. <laughs> All right, everybody. All right, folks. We'll go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com. You'll find this under the FW Presents feed. Uh, we'll have an image gallery with some of the picks. Uh, not a lot of them because you can get this on like DC Universe and Comicsology and stuff like that. But we'll put a few pages up so you can check them out. And then uh, leave your feedback on the episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these issues and, and how how they resonate with you. And maybe what's your favorite JSA, JLA team up? Because, you know, I, I'd, I'd be up for covering more of these team ups because I think they're just an absolute blast. 
Absolutely. Well, folks, uh, you can, of course, find us on Facebook and Twitter. You, know, you can find Rob with all of the Twitter handles. And, um, I, you know, you know where to find us at this point. Jeez, OP. I think that's going to do it. So should we go out with our regular uh, catchphrase, or do you got a different one for us, Rob? <laughs> I don't have another. I guess uh, we – yeah, no, I don't have a – I don't think, can't think of another one that we don't have. So we could just end it in our, our standard I, way. I got it. I got it. You ready? Okay. All right. Fan the flame, and I accuse Rob Kelly. When he took the pill specific, it made him the most prolific, terrific, Mr. Terrific.